Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen, and I'm going to sit here sitting completely still for a really long period of time until moving suddenly to surprise you. Joining me today is Patrick Klepek. Whose extremely tired wife prepping for a trip is currently upstairs while I record this, actually putting Five Nights at Freddy characters onto pumpkins so they can go out so the kids can see them in the morning. Mm, wow. Well, uh, we all have our own cross to bear. Anyway, welcome to a bonus episode <laughs> of Decoding TV. We are also broadcasting this live right now. Uh, I was going to announce this earlier, but uh, I'll just say wasn't sure if this broadcast is going to happen today. But now, <laughs> now that we're here, I'm happy to uh, be talking with Patrick Klepek uh, to talk about the new movie Five Nights at Freddy's based off of the uh, classic video game. Now, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, etc. at Decoding TV. I want to say uh, we are going to start by just giving our overall thoughts on this movie, Five Nights at Freddy's, and then uh, dive right into spoilers pretty quickly after that. So if you're afraid of spoilers, then you know don't stick around for very long. The reason I wanted to have this conversation in bonus episode form, Patrick Klepek, is because... Um, we uh you're you're into video games and also technically this movie is streaming on peacock uh so you know uh why not kids the hoops that david has jumped through to make <laughs> to, to make decoding tv doing this movie work i'm with you i'm with you david it's i i see a logical a to b line on this one and and we're good to go <laughs> thanks thanks patrick your your support is always appreciated i do want to uh say that people were expecting this movie would come in uh, domestic box office wise, between fifty and sixty million dollars, like you know, which would already be an incredible opening for a movie that had a twenty million dollar budget. Uh, instead, it came in around seventy eight million dollars. It's one of the biggest movie openings of the year, uh, and the the numbers are just really incredible on this film. You know, um, this is the biggest Blumhouse movie opening ever. 36% of the opening night audience was between 13 and 17 years old. Truly, the kids are all right, Patrick. And also, <laughs> I believe the children are our future. Uh, it has an A-minus cinema score, which is really strong, especially for a horror film. Uh, and I think it's the second biggest opening of the year. Uh, second biggest video game adaptation opening ever. You'll never guess what the first one was. It happened earlier this year, Super Mario Bros. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is an astonishing achievement of, uh, uh, you know, just movie-making video game adaptation. The question before us, Patrick Klepek, is, is the movie any good? So let's start by going to you, Patrick Klepek, and talking about uh, – what were your what's what is your connection with Five Nights at Freddy's like? You've played this game. I never have. I've seen videos of gameplay. 
Um, but what has been your relationship to the Five Nights at Freddy's game, and why do you think it occupies such a uh, a hallowed spot in the popular imagination? Right. So you mentioned that Five Nights at Freddy's is is based on a 2014 video game by uh, a developer by the name of Scott Cawthon, who uh, is a Christian game developer making, for a long time, Christian-based video games that didn't do very well. And my recollection is that one of them had some crude art that sort of resembled an animatronic and that someone remarked upon it. And that became like the inkling of the idea that eventually became uh, five nights at Freddy's. And this is a point and click adventure game, basically in which you are a security guard at night, clicking through these cameras, watching. It's very much reminiscent of like a kind of like an evolved nineties flash game. Like the art is extremely crude the design is extremely crude, but it's like charming in its own way. And it's well made. It is a it's a jump scare factory. You are just going from screen to screen watching objects. You don't even watch them move uh, in these early games. They just literally it's like a slideshow going from one screen to the other. Uh, and then when you click over, it feels fairly randomized. I'm like, has anything changed? But you're like scrutinizing the screen or oh, shadows there. Or one of the animatronics has moved there. And you're basically trying to manage uh, the power that you have to survive the night. And if you can go from midnight to 6 a.m., you go to the next night. And the difficulty amps up. The antics of the animatronics amp up. Um, you use more power if you're like shutting a door. And that's like, that's, that, that is definitely going to stop them from getting in. But you're also sucking out your power. And the moment power's up, whoosh. Those, so uh, those, a lot of resource management. You, you know what the game reminded me of when I looked at the gameplay was, um, ironically, Paranormal Activity, the 100%. movie, which you're just like, most of Paranormal Activity, you're just watching security footage and then waiting for something to jump and surprise you. By the way, Paranormal Activity, uh, Jason Blum's first big success. Uh, and he is now the head of Blumhouse. And, you know, Blumhouse had a huge success in horror films. And this is their latest. You know, in a long string of huge successes, so uh, feels like it's coming full circle, Patrick Lepic. But yeah, no, I, I think that's I think it's absolutely right, and I, I don't know if there's a direct influence there necessarily on the game, but it comes out of that same uh, kind of era and like <laughs> the string of like seven <laughs> paranormal activity sequels that they made in the wake of that of that original one, of which I saw every single one. Not my proudest same. moment, but once same. I start a thing, I have to finish it. A- as you will watch all seven sequels they will make of Friday Night at Freddy or Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> well, that is know? definitely after, that after is the true. massive success of this film. So, And so uh, the game the game takes off primarily uh, because it falls into a very comfortable loop on YouTube and Twitch, but YouTube is more specific than Twitch in this capacity because it's a fun game to play because the consequence is the jump scare. And so that's the game over screen. And also, it's jump scares can be fun. Like, in, like it's not necessarily even done effectively, but you know what the consequence is. You know if you screw up in the game, you get the jump scare. And so then it's fun when you get the jump scare because you get the game over screen. And what's more fun than uh, doing it yourself is watching other people do it. And so Five Nights at Freddy's just becomes enormously popular on YouTube. And what's enormously popular on YouTube? Like, creators being watched by young kids. And so you... Five Nights, amongst a lot of other horror that I, I often categorize as sort of sort of like young young adult horror, in which it like straddles this line between who is it appealing for, what is the level of violence. Five Nights at Freddy's is really the catalyst for an already existing thing, but really popularizes the concept and then gets mixed up in this creator culture that is really taking off 
uh, at the same time with folks like uh, uh, like Jack Septicai and Markiplier and other folks who were kind of on the ground floor during during that era and rose alongside movies like Five Nights at Freddy's, popularizing responding to horror games, which itself fueled much of like PewDiePie and these other uh, YouTube creators that became like some of the biggest on the platform. Well, beautiful anthropological description of Five Nights at Freddy's. No, no joke. Appreciate it. But what was your feelings on the game? Were you like, oh, I'm so into this. I'm Patrick Klepek and I'm so into this. Or I think it's, a, I think it's an interesting <laughs> premise. Like yeah. I, so when I, like I enjoy a good jump scare factory. Like I like being on a roller coaster. I don't need everything to be the height of art. I don't need everything to be like a, it follows or a hereditary. Like sometimes I just want to sit down and have someone go, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> that can be done better and worse. Right. Um, and, and so, Beautifully like, said. there, there was, a, there was an art to the jump scare and some are cheaper than others. Some are more earned than others, but finance and Fridays, I, I really, the fundamental concept of the game over is the jump scare makes the game over just so tense because as you're watching it go down, your anxiety goes up, you start making more mistakes and you know that the jump scare is coming. And so there's like an inherent humor and uh, anxiety in it that I found very fun. I didn't connect with the world, the lore. I didn't play past the first game. I thought the first game was very charming, well done. But beyond that, I sort of needed something else to latch onto. And so the connective tissue that lots of uh, players latched onto um, that was just kind of barely seated in the first game, and that didn't work for me. And and so I kind of left that game behind after the first one while I quietly, you know, turned into a juggernaut. Got it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, so that's the game. It's obviously become like a huge cultural phenomenon. In comes this movie, which was released simultaneously in theaters and on Peacock. The plot of this film, directed by Emma Tammy, quote, a troubled security guard begins working at Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria while spending his first night on the job. He realizes the late shift at Freddy's won't be so easy to make it through, end quote. Uh, this movie stars Josh Hutcherson, I would say, is probably the, the, the biggest star, but there's also uh, people like Mary Stuart Masterson is in the movie, Matthew Lillard. It has a solid cast. Uh, let's talk about overall thoughts, Patrick Klepek, before we dive into some of the spoilers. What do you think overall of this film? <laughs> I think it's pretty bad. Um, uh, wow. I, 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 
the thing is, I you know, I cannot separate the viewing experience of watching this movie uh, from the way that I did, which is that I watched it alongside my seven year old. Um, she has talked about watching this movie for as long as the trailer has been out, you know, so a year ish, maybe a, a little less. And and did I'd she kind more- of did she kind of latch on to like the YouTube culture of the game or did she like like playing the game or both? No, the like um, these characters and characters that are adjacent and inspired uh, by them are everywhere. Mm, and mm. there has been a uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, you know, I'm not as steeped in the media history to say this with like complete confidence, but uh, like has led to a, a sharp rise in, or at least happened concurrently with a sharp rise in kids liking for like lack of a better term, like twisted kid care, like essentially like things that look cuddly, but are a little fucked up and five nights at Freddy's uh, Poppy's playhouse. Like just, you can Google like things that are just like this. Like these are all over YouTube and Roblox and Roblox specifically, like Roblox is full, like recommended to kids. Like, all these like tortured evil animatronic and other characters some that are ripped off from five nights at freddy's because copyright infringement is rampant on places like roblox and others that are inspired by five nights at freddy's um but play in the same wheelhouse i mean you walk into a spirit halloween or a target you will see aisles full of these like kid adjacent um kind of messed up looking uh characters and so my daughter falls for these characters devoid of the context of the game and then asks me about them. And then I start filling in that context for her. And then this trailer comes out and she's like, well, we got to watch the movie. And the, uh, in our house, my children's relationship with media, they aren't, aren't, aren't and aren't allowed to watch is broadly. I don't believe that media and science facts and stuff like does not call, cause actual harm. And so I use my children as a guide over like, what do they, what, what do you think? What do you think you can handle? I'll, I will open the door. We can walk in. If you don't want to do this, we shut the door and we walk out. And then I, I, that's how I manage my children's relationship with media. And so if you think you want to watch, obviously there's like rules. Like I, I am not, you know, like, like, and I'm that's not how sit- Patrick and his kids <laughs> ended up watching two girls, one cup. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, it was martyrs. And then that, you know, it was just like right back to back. Not the, re- no, not the, not the remake. We go to the original it was, source. It was 120 days of Sodom followed by two girls, one cup. And then five nights at Freddy's is, was the media right. diet. And, and, and so she, like every other day, like for the better part of a year, would like ask about this movie. Can I look at pictures of it? Can we watch the trailer again? And was trying to decide whether she wanted to watch it. And so, you know, long story short, the first night we tried to watch it, we made it five minutes into that initial kill. It was too much. She's like, I don't want to do this. Like, I was a little disappointed because I was like, well, I kind of want, I want to see if this movie turned out any good, but okay. I'm going to respect that you don't want to watch it and we'll give it another shot this weekend uh, if you're up to it. And then on Sunday morning, uh, we, I was like, hey, it's daytime out. Um, we've got some time to kill before we're, stuff we're doing today. Do you want to try and watch it in the daytime? She's like, yeah. And just like start to finish glued like on the screen, explaining the character relationships to me. And so, you know, and we'll unpack it. I, do, I just, I think this movie is pretty poorly made. I think a lot of it has more to do with the, this script is just atrocious. It's co-written by the game's creator. The The convoluted lore of Five Nights at Freddy exists. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's like well-written. Um, um, and I think that directly translates to a very messy bloated slow script for a movie that should not be nearly two hours long it is 
like un- ungodly long for what it has about doing. like 45 minutes of plot they, worth of plot. Well, you know? Yeah. And ugh, um, so, um, but, uh, you know, I have a deep respect for it um, because it does, it is trying to make kids horror. Like it makes choices in how it depicts violence, knowing who its audience is and trying to, I think, hold their hand through a genre that I think for a lot of people, maybe they're into the games, maybe they found those characters. And then this is the first time they're going into a movie that is going to like depict that for them. And I think the movie is pretty like conscious of that fact, tries to respect the audience that it's for. And I think on that level, there's an immense amount of craftsmanship that's happening in this movie that is unfortunately weighed down by just an atrocious script that um, I think with all the other components involved, I think could have been just such a, such a better movie um, with the, the component pieces, but the script fails, fails on a, on a fundamental level. But you know, who you know, who doesn't pay attention to like bad script writing or like it doesn't process like a seven year old that just wants to see these characters brought to life on screen. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is a huge component of, and also the ability to go, I know what that is. I know what that is. Um, you know, for, I think for a lot of children, this is a similar to like the MCU in which like characters I've seen on, in video games, in animated shows, and comics, seeing that brought to life on screen is yeah. is magical. It has its and own inherent value, basically. It right? has po- yeah. that has power, and for an industry that is struggling in so many ways, from COVID, from other me- media options that uh, young people have to these ongoing strikes, like I'm just excited that kids wanted to go to the fucking theater, and we're psyched to do it. Figure the rest out later. And if Five Absolutely. Nights got him in the door, that's that makes me happy. Absolutely. Uh, on that last point, if if, <laughs> if this gets more teens to watch movies, like if this gets the next generation of people to watch movies, I am thrilled with that because getting the you know Gen Z to be interested in movies has at times proven to be very difficult uh, because they have a lot of other options than we did when we were kids, Patrick Klepek and. You know, I remember when we were kids, there were only three channels on the TV and <laughs> only one movie playing at the local theater. No, I'm just joking. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. Kids have a lot of options when it comes to the entertainment these days. Uh, and uh, I still believe in the power of movie going and movies. And, you know, uh, the fact that it's doing so well is really, really heartening. All that being said, let's talk about all the ways in which this movie is terrible. Um, so... <laughs> And I do want to just point this out. Like, if you are of the ilk of what I just described, like, if you love this movie or you had a great time, uh, just don't watch or listen to what we're about to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's going to be beneficial for you, you know? Um, But if you want to hear a somewhat detailed deconstruction of Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, listen on, won't you? I agree with everything you said. I think that the big problem with this film is the pacing. Um, It just is so, so little happens during the movie. Um, To its credit, the animatronics are awesome. Like, I love the way the, you know, Freddy's animatronics look. They look very convincing. There was no point at which I I was like, oh, well, that's a guy in there, you know, unless you're supposed to feel that way. Like, it's like, oh, that's, you know, it, it looked like, oh, these look like things that have been reanimated or whatever the case is. Uh, and the biggest disappointment with the film is how little of them we see. Like, they're in the movie. I'm going to just throw this out there. 
in the two hour long movie, we see them for 10 to 15 minutes. I'm just guessing, right? Maybe, maybe a little more, but like a shockingly small amount of time. Uh, the video game is about you playing the security guard that goes in and like tries to figure out what's going on and survive. And the people who wrote this movie thought to themselves, what if we really got into the security guard psyche? <laughs> like, what if we really understood what makes that guy tick? Uh, which um, turns out is not that interesting, or at least in the way it's in the film is not that interesting. Patrick Klepek, have you ever seen the film MacGruber? Uh, I've not. It's one of my great, uh, it weighs on me. Um, because I know anyone that does has seen that movie, it's like one of their all-time favorite like spoof comedies. And like, for some reason I just, I just haven't found the time to do it. I feel terrible about it. Uh, you should feel awful about that. Yes. Uh, I do. I do. (laughs) Thank you for confirming it. It is one, it is one of my favorite like comedy movies. Um, but I bring up MacGruber because there are some things in life, Patrick Lepic that are horrible, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if a movie depicts them in a certain way, it can be comical. So, for instance, in MacGruber, you find out pretty early on in the film that MacGruber's wife got blowed up at his wedding um, by Val Kilmer. <laughs> like, Val Kilmer's character, Dieter von Kunth, I believe is his name, uh, he <laughs> explodes MacGruber's wife, right? And it's like a very, like, comical scene because it's so ridiculous the way it's done. Now, in reality... If somebody's wife got exploded at a wedding, that would be horrifying. It would be awful. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not advocating for that. But in the movie, it's so like exaggerated and kind of the way the execution is so like arch that it's very funny. So I, I make that distinction to say that like there's a, there's a distinction between the seriousness of the thing in real life and how wacky it can be when it's depicted sometimes, right? And I say that because, in my opinion, virtually everything that had to do with the main character, Josh Hutcherson's backstory, was like felt like it was comically funny and exaggerated. Um, starting with the opening scene, uh, or the opening sequence, in which... Uh, so we're, we're, let's get into spoilers. We, we thought the movie wasn't that great. We're going to talk about spoilers now. Security guard Mike Schmidt is at a mall and he thinks he's witnessing a child trafficking event occurring. And so he grabs the parent and just starts freaking wailing on him. Like literally, did you, did you see the scene in fight club where, uh, Edward Norton destroys Jared Leto's face? (laughs) Like, it's like not quite like that, but it's like, Oh, it's like that level. He's just freaking wailing on this guy. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that guy's going to press charges. His face is all messed up. That guy's going to press charges. It's going to ruin Mike Schmidt's life. Turns out he just gets a slap on the wrist and gets recruited to work at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. Uh, <laughs> that's, his, that's his punishment. Is He's like, oh, well, you know, you got to work at this terrible night security job. It's like, okay, well, I think, he, I think Mike Schmidt got off pretty easy. Uh, but I thought that was like a ridiculous sequence because of, it was so over the top. And... That's something about this this movie, by the way. I think it's really trying for like a heightened, over the top reality between all that stuff, the Mary Stuart Masterson trying to adopt his daughter plot. Like all that just felt very. It didn't feel grounded in any kind of reality. Patrick Klepek, what do you think of the tone of the movie? No, I'm I'm with you, and I, I think it speaks to again 
this is the blessing and often the curse of having original creator. Like, is this really an adaptation or is it a translation by the original creator exerting an enormous amount of control? Because the arc of the five nights at Freddy's games is like, David, I, I implore you after this, maybe not after this, like give yourself a little bit of space. Yeah. Like yeah. go read a Wikipedia entry about this, like the, the lore, uh, like you will, Whatever you think, wherever you think it goes, whatever, how convoluted you think it might be, it's like exponentially more than that. And, and you, you see that filtered down from these later games into this, this film where it's an attempt to like retcon in, backfill, drama, exposition, explanations, like connecting the dots. And right. I think a lot of that is happening in this, this film. And it's almost like you can feel the filmmakers wrestling like I, I don't know what the relationship was with the creatives on this film but it almost feels like they're just rubbing their temples and going okay 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 so he gave us this shit sandwich so what are we gonna do like we're gonna have to eat it but like maybe we yeah. can process it into something else uh, like, let's like uh yeah let's kind of like mush it up into like a milkshake potentially yeah, um, yeah i know no scott told us to do that i know scott he owns the ip we're vi- but like what can we do about this like so, scott's on set like so w- what you're talking about is like i think in the initial game for instance um there's no explanation for like why these animatronics are attacking you right like it it, it, is, it does not convey it's like what they li- represent. It's highly limited. It was not right, right, right. Like, but then, like a, story bible. As the games go on, it becomes more clear. Like what's going on? It's perhaps there's like uh, ghosts inhabiting. The, where the ghosts come from? And like all that stuff is then explained in the video games over time. But this is a movie that kind of tries to like compress all of that lore, or not all of, but like a significant portion a, of it. A lot, in, a lot yeah. is like spread over several games. Like you know, we're in spoiler territory. So like the Matthew Lillard character being the father, he's this character called Springtrap. Um, in mm. in I don't think they actually utter that name because I don't think he's. He's becoming Springtrap at the at the end of of the game when he's kind of getting trapped in the suit. But like that was a huge like. If you go and like look on like YouTube and people like recorded reactions of like folks, like you hear the kids go nuts. They're like Springtrap's not supposed to be. This is the first one, and so you know it's one of those things where it's it's almost as though uh, like the target audience for this this, this movie is so specific that if you are outside of what mm-hmm. it is aiming at, it comes across as complete nonsense because the movie's not giving you like its own language to work with. Like if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't speak it, um, then you're not going to connect on its level. And because this, like the, po- the bones of it are so poor, you know what I mean? Like it's like, all right, well, I'm already a fan. I don't speak the language and I can't point my finger at like, Oh, I know that. I know that. Um, well, then you can't fall back on, well, but like the, the the it's really tense, and like the characters are interesting, the drama's good. Like there's not there's nothing else there at all. It all right. falls apart if like the references don't and the act like the literal act of adapting to live action doesn't work for you. Because I'm with you, none of that stuff. Like it's all it's melodrama in this like the most laughable way. There's just like nothing to it. You know, on that note, right, we find out that Mike Schmidt, he dreams of the fact that his brother Garrett was kidnapped and then presumably murdered many years ago. He's haunted by this dream, which, again, I also found to be like child trafficking is no joke. Like, I I think it's very upsetting concept, but the way in which it's depicted in the film, I found to be 
uh, very goofy. Uh, and uh, like, I'll just throw out an, as, as an example. It happens when they're out camping in the middle of the woods. <laughs> and typically, like, look at uh, just another example, Minority Report, right? Like a very similar scene happens in Steven Spielberg's Minority Report. And if you look at that scene, literally, it is one of the most densely populated scenes ever. Like, it's like, there's like hundreds of people in this shot where like, and that's typically how it happens. It's like, you know, there's all these people and then a parent loses track of their child. Um, it doesn't happen when you're out in the middle of nowhere as much. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's like, it doesn't happen when you're out in the middle of nowhere as much. Uh, and it really feels like they just didn't have the budget to shoot this in a big crowded place. Like, it feels like they're just like, okay, we need to shoot the scene where he gets abducted, but like, we can't, we, we don't have budget for more than like 10 people in this movie. <laughs> so like, where's a place where it would be logical that there would still be danger, but there's very few people. And it's like, oh, out in the middle of the forest. I guess, but it just, it just comes off looking very goofy. I, it just felt very silly to me. Like I couldn't take it seriously. Pa- am I like misreading Patrick Klepek? What was your reaction no, it has to the a, Garrett kidnapping? All those scenes, all those scenes have like a lifetime quality right, to it. Yeah. You know, like one of the sort of like cheesy, low budget, like on in the background cable, like adaptations of like a horrible thing that happened to somebody that they can just sort of churn through. Um, and I, I'm with you. Like it was just incredibly hard to take. Like an obviously traumatic moment, right? Like, it's supposed to be like deeply. It's supposed to be like deeply upsetting, right? And it uh, is but, like when you say it out loud, it's like, oh, well, that's that's awful. But like in the in the in the context when you're film, watching, it's just like this is so. It just just the vibes are off in terms of like how this scene is supposed to be communicated to the audience, basically. Right, and it's too bad because like the actual kind of a kernel of something there of like someone taking sleeping pills because they're so traumatized yeah. by the singular event. And they think to themselves, well, at some point when I moved my head from left to right here, I, I saw I saw something. I just didn't process it. I just didn't sort of like actually categorize it as a memory. And if I just go back there, maybe I'll unlock it. Like that is, that is a like neat idea. It's also like very convenient because it allows them to sidestep uh, the actual mechanics of the video game of which they're just, they are just not present, which mm. is like they have the office. But then the whole point of the game is you are sitting in the office going through these cameras and then uh, now I get, they wouldn't be managing a power. That's just a crude gameplay right. system and order. Right. Like essentially the, the, the movie is like, all right, well it'd be kind of boring. I guess if he's just sitting there in front of the security system for six hours, so he should sleep through it and then just wake up later. And we'll skip that whole part. That is the basis of, of the game, which I think speaks to like a less of an interest in translating which I think you were getting at earlier actually makes sense as a pretty, especially paranormal activity where it has a concept of like day, like night one, day one, like night two, day two. And like you have a familiar cycle you could go through where you can imagine a film adapting that, like sitting behind the desk, the cameras, like you could do like a under 90 minute film that was like yeah. pretty effective that way. But this movie's way more concerned with. It's, it's more ambitious than that. It like wants correct. to do more. It wants to be like. You know, tell the whole story of Mike Schmidt, the 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 entire life story of Mike Schmidt, and how like, you know, going through this seminal event of being the security guard of Five Nights at Freddy's helped him to exorcise his demons. Right, that's kind mm-hmm. of the story tells. Um, and so I I can't fault it for being more ambitious because you're right. Like that sounds like a, potentially a cool movie. Like 
very cool low budget movie where you're it's just a guy looking at security screens you know and fig- figuring out a way to like f- shoehorn that mechanic into a film could be interesting um but they decided not to go that way and instead uh <laughs> they decided to uh you know go this way of like Mike Schmidt is being tormented by these machines uh, and also he wants to keep his daughter. The, the, the other thing about the thing too is like at no point did I root for Mike Schmidt. I don't know if you like if you felt <laughs> this way. But he's a huge fuck up. Like, he's, he's constantly <laughs> making horrible decisions. He, he like, is I, introduced he's introduced brutally assaulting an innocent man and then you find out like he's really traumatized by like his brother being abducted which like fair anyone would be. Yeah. Uh but he doesn't seem to be doing a good job raising his daughter. His aunt wants to uh, take control. His sister, sister. Uh, it's his younger sister. Oh, sorry, sorry, his sister. His aunt wants to take custody of both of, of of the sister, and he's like, you know what? She should because I'm a fuck. I'm not equipped to raise a child. And I'm like, yes, that is correct. <laughs> yes, you're right, Mike Schmidt. Like, yes, just let let her go now. To be fair, she doesn't want to be taken custody of, so like she has some agency in this. But the whole time, I was like. Dude, Mike Schmidt, why are you uh, why are you fighting for this man? Like this is uh, and by the way, he actively endangers her, you know, multiple times in the course of the movie. Uh, what was your relationship with Mike Schmidt? Were you like, I really support this guy? No, I mean, <laughs> like again, like you, it's like, well, this you got me. Like his brother was kidnapped and probably brutally murdered, so I guess I still feel bad for him, and that would probably cause me to make some poor decisions in my life, but. The movie really wants you to like sympathize with him on a moment to moment basis and not just as a like broadly like wouldn't you feel sad for a person that went through this. And it's just it, the movie does like over and over has his character making boneheaded decisions that do not seem in line with somebody that wants to like wrestle control of their like and, and some of it is is honestly down to performance. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I honestly think the act, like the acting choices for Mike, whether instructed or chosen by the actor, like give a real like sweep, sleepy, lazy like quality to the character that makes them hard to root for as a protagonist. Where it's like if something was co- like coming through beyond these poor choices. Um, and I don't, and I don't know if that's down to directing. I don't know if that's like, there's just no good words on the page for us to, to get like, I, I don't know where that breakdown happens, but I often found myself just like hard to get situated in his, in his shoes. And the, your, your other options as a viewer are difficult because the character, like the, the sister, she doesn't talk that much. She doesn't really open up as a character until much later. The, the cop is just a completely odd, like. <laughs> really makes no sense until we get some reveals towards the end. Right. Like, n- like, well, well, uh, and to be clear, you're gonna... to be clear, nothing in the movie makes any sense until you get to the end, right? Like, Correct. it's like, why would you hire someone to watch an abandoned Chuck E. Cheese? It doesn't make any sense. Of course, we find out in the end there's reasons for that. Why is this cop spending what seems to be her entire shift? <laughs> Like just hanging out with this guy at the abandoned Chuck E. Cheese, right? If like you want to kiss him, just kiss him. But like, it's, it seems really weird to come up with a lot of excuses to come over and hang out with. Him. Like that whole bit where the you know they 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 those folks come in and ransack the the, the pizzeria, and then she goes to show up and be like, "Hey, I'm gonna have to file a report, and that's criminal negligence." And he's like, "Hey, you want to go hear a sob story by the river?" And like he explains this whole deal, and she's like. 
I shouldn't report that. You're right. You know what I mean? Like, no, like, what? I mean, obviously it makes sense by the end of the movie because she has such, like her motives are yeah. nefarious or at least in cahoots in yeah. a way that that. But, she has um, ulterior motives, right? Right. But it, none of it makes. And she's not being communicated as a, like an untrustworthy character in the moment. She is meant to be a, somebody showing sympathy for uh, a person that right. clearly needs like a helping hand. So it just makes it makes it feel just utterly nonsensical because like these characters aren't acting with any motivations that like it's a plot hole. That's not a plot hole until I know what fills the hole with the plot, but it feels so odd in, in the moment. Like there's just nothing to grab onto except just, I really hope we get back to those animatronics, uh, like literally <laughs> as soon as possible. Cause that's the, like, I want to see them blink again. Give me the cupcake. Give me the cupcake. The cupcake's good. There's also this subplot where Jane, the aunt character, hires a group of vandals to trash the restaurant to get Mike fired, right? Uh, and I'll just say that um, uh, I don't know that she chose wisely in terms of the group of vandals that she's hiring. <laughs> this this is the most eclectic group because I think like, like his the babysitter is in there, right? Like, yeah. Um, there's like, you know. Uh, the baby's boyfriend. I don't like. I don't right. know who the other guy is. Guy who looks like he comes from like a grunge band in his forties and fifties, and then like a teenager who looks like he works at the local pizzeria, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know. And then you just throw all of them in there, and then trash the place, and hope that goes well. Of course, it doesn't. Uh, anyway, so eventually, what happens in the movie is you find out that uh, the animatronics they want to absorb Abby into their collective, right? Uh, that is to say, Mike's sister. Uh, they want to absorb Abby. And then, turns out, uh, not only is Matthew Lillard's character, the guy that hires Mike, the the father of the cop character, right? But he's also the person that has entrapped these children's spirits in these mm-hmm. animatronic dolls. Am I right mm-hmm. about that? Like, what's... You... You are. There's, uh, yeah, they don't get into the real mechanics of it, but yeah. He's a serial killer that has murdered Garrett and five children by hiding their bodies in the animatronics and their souls are under his control. That is the, the big reveal at the end of the film, right? Yeah, we don't get, we don't get the explanation for the control. We just know that he has it, but we know that to avoid getting caught, uh, he hid their mangled bodies in Mm -hmm. the animatronics or the cop. Like, I guess the, you put enough, like, chemical spray in there so the, like the smell didn't radiate off of but like whatever like I, I don't care about the like the logic there but he he uh he hid the bodies in there and then at some point there's a bit of a at least in this film a yada 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 and then children's souls are infused in the in the animatronics yeah and i gotta say like the conclusion of the movie plays out in a very anticlimactic fashion i thought i don't know about you but i was not I was not thrilled by it. it. Like the idea is that they're supposed to have this big confrontation, and Matthew Lillard's character, aka I think Steve, is the name of the character. Steve Raglan, aka William Afton. You're supposed to be like, oh, they finally turned the tables on this guy, and uh, you know, not, there's literally nothing happened. Like <laughs> basically, his machine they 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 trigger his his animatronic that he put on. Mm-hmm. So that it starts like impaling him. That's kind of what happens, right at the end. Um, but that's it. There's no. There's no like. 
There's no action scene. There's no like, oh, oh, they did something really clever. I mean, they did something. Um, like Abby shows her drawing to the animatronics, and they turn on William. That's kind of what ha- like that's kind of what causes them to turn on him. But like, I, I just w- there was so little that happened until that point, and then the big climax was so anticlimactic. It felt like just very deflating. What did you think of the final sequence, Patrick Klepek? Well, I at least knew that. I'm so glad they cast Matthew Lillard. He mm-hmm. is wonderful in the very brief amount of screen time that he's he's like great as the kind of slimy like work recruiter character. His full mask off, uh, you know, vi- like villain moment, like strong like scream energy like happening here. Like he's a lot of fun. Like he kind of. He's, he knows he's got to amp the energy up like in, in this scene. And it, he's a lot of fun for the little a bit of time that we, that we get with him. Um, but I'm with you. I mean, like it, it's difficult because one, I think you start to see the limitations of what the animatronics are capable of um, in terms of what can they depict. We see that earlier in the film when they, you, the longest sequence that you get with the animatronics outside of the climax, where they build a fort with, you know, with Abby uh, and, and, like watching them like try to shoot around them lifting up a t- you know, like you can just see like they're like okay we can get them to move and like the the faces work really well but the actual like getting them down a hallway doing uh like limb actions there's just not a ton that those animatronics can pull off and when you get to the to the finale i think that collides with a, a distinct lack of character development for any of these kids we're supposed to feel sad about right like we get precious few moments of like we have this whole framing device of going into this dream but we don't like hear any of the stories about these kids like what has it been like for you know what i mean there's there's nothing to emotionally sort of hang on to other than the broad explanation that he murdered these kids sad put their mangled bodies into animatronics also sad Mm -hmm. um but we don't have any insight into who they are and is that because when you know you read that Matthew Lillard signed like a three picture deal for these films, that like oh, th- they're saving development on mm-hmm. like any of these characters for future films. Um, that's certainly possible, um, but I think it 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 leaves the entire climax to hinge on if you are not a kid like oogling at like the set piece of it all. Essentially, like how car how far can Matthew Lillard take you here? Is not far right. enough. Well. Like there's not there's not much else uh, for you here. I think you're right to praise Matthew Lillard though. He really is giving it his all, and like his his commitment cannot be questioned, right? Um, but I would agree with you. the The finale gives you precious little to hang on to, other than the twist of hey, their bodies are the blah blah blah. You know, like um, you know, we have some questions in the chat uh, from somebody named Native Indie who's at, who is asking about. Um, I think is concerned about the. PG-13 nature and whether this is a movie that is safe to watch for children. I know your philosophy is, let's just say, radical permissiveness, Patrick Lepic. No, I'm just... Sure, I'm yeah, being I, say but that, like, I say that's yeah, right. No. But would you recommend this for children? Would you, uh, it's PG-13. I think the gore and terror is fairly light. I, I will say, you know, one of the opening scenes of the movie is like an animatronic device being shoved in this guy's face that has like all these gears and terrible things that are going to like mangle his face and kill him. And I do think if I had watched that when I was a kid, that would be traumatizing. You know, like that's a very scary idea 
to have your face all messed up by like a machine, you know? Um, that was probably the scariest thing in the whole movie for me. Like, uh, no, nothing else really came close to that, that idea, which appears several times during the course of the movie. But I'm curious, like, you know, do you feel like your children will be traumatized by this or like, are you, this is a movie you feel okay recommending to kids of a certain age? Uh, I, so I think there's, I, I don't think it's shocking that I watched this in two phases with my kid, which was the first 10 minutes. This is, I don't want to do this anymore, dad. Okay. We turn it off and. If you don't want to do this anymore, I'm not here to force you to do it. I'm, I'm just here to be like, uh, you know, bumpers for you as you figure out um, what you can handle. Um, and then I'm not shocked that when we she said, like, we just not watch the first 10 minutes. And I was sure. Uh, and then that, that does just, have the, th- the sequence I discussed, right? Like, correct. Correct. The guy's face that, being endangered. Yeah. And it, it is it is absolutely the scariest moment. Yeah. And the, even though we don't actually see gore, it's the closest. It's, it's just the most intense, scarily shot. Yeah. It's a great scene. Um, and the movie never quite reaches those sides or even tries to like, again, it's always pulling its punches, um, deliberately. It's not as though it's cutting. Like, I don't think there's an R rated cut of five nights at Freddy's. Like, I think they shot it the way they shot it on deliberately and on purpose. And the movie is what the movie is. Um, but the thing about like, should a kid watch it? Like at the age I'm talking about, like so much is kid dependent. Like a lot of seven year olds probably shouldn't like, there's a lot of criteria does your kid easily get nightmares? My kid doesn't. She has never had a nightmare in her life. She finds herself attracted to horror and horror adjacent media already. So she is like seeing things that are violent E and is, is comfortable and like is able to process that in a healthy fashion. So I felt okay having her watch that until the moment that, that she wasn't. And most parents are going to be on, the, on a gut check, like because I'm writing a story about this over at Crossplay. And I was like, a bunch of parents are like, yeah, my kids love uh, like the Funko Pops for this thing, and like they love Five Nights at Freddy's, but then they won't make it five seconds into the trailer before we turn it off because the scary music kicks in, and they're like, so I'm not making, I'm not letting my kid watch this because I know exactly how how they're going to react. And so I think outside of that range, I think you had mentioned earlier, like the demographic of this was like like highly concentrated in like. 11 to 13, 11 to 14, like as you're getting into that early teenage range or like I think 10 and above, you are an extremely solid ground mm-hmm. if your kid doesn't have a propensity to be easily scared or have images uh, like linger with them, um, yeah. especially upon early exposure. Um, and definitely but, like teenagers. I said 13 to 17 years old was like 30, mm, 36% yeah. of the audience. I think that's very reasonable. Like that's very... You know, yeah, I I feel like I could probably handle this if I was a teenager, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And again, because a lot of the violence is not explicit. I think yeah. the most, the goriest, the goriest it gets is a couple of like slashes on an arm, but it doesn't linger. Like a body is split in half, but it's seen in shadow and silhouette. Um, at one point you see some bodies on the ground that are uh, like gory. They were like the, the people who were killed earlier. But again, it's like brief shots. It doesn't linger. It's not it's not going for that level. It's not a gross out movie. Mm-hmm. And like the violence exists because they are animatronics that want to <laughs> kill you. But um, it doesn't linger in the way that you, it's very easy to imagine an R rated version of this film. It has right. all the elements to be much more intense. And, uh, and, and, you know, like you can go watch that Nicholas cage, like Willie's wonderland or something like that. If you want something that really turns the screws um, a little bit more, but it's very much like I'd say under 10, your mileage may vary know your kid above that. I think you're going to be on pretty safe ground. It is, it is no more intense than, um, 
uh, you know, it's not that more intense than, like the new go- the Goosebumps uh, show that's going mm-hmm. around. Like your kid can handle that. This is just like a little above that. It's just a little more explicit with the violence. So the end of the film, the serial killer <laughs> is uh, impaled by his own animatronic, which is like, Ugh. wow, you did classic. Hoisted by his own petard, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's always, they always get you the way you never expect, aka your own killing machine that you are you have donned yourself for no apparent reason. Um, so uh, anyway, they drag Vanessa off. Like Abby is saved, they drag Vanessa the cop off, and uh, she goes to the hospital, and she's basically in a coma, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And that's where she ends the film. So we don't know what, whether Vanessa lives or dies. I have a feeling she's going to live until the next one, though. That's just my guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they I, were I, holding I, hands, David. Like, come on. I'm not. Deny I'm, him this love? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm putting my whole professional career on the line. And I'm going to say I think Vanessa's going to survive till the next movie. Wow. Unless, right. unless she is recast and they decide they don't need that character anymore. In which case, <laughs> she's going to die off, off screen. Um... <laughs> Uh, and then Mike and uh, Mike and Abby, I guess all their problems are solved at that point. Um, everything just goes back to normal, right? That's the uh, that's the end of the movie. So, yeah. Um, what have we learned, Patrick Klepek? Uh what, what are what are what are our thoughts here? I mean, I, I do think that this is clearly a movie that's not for us. You know, uh, this is a movie that's for people who are like get that joy out of just seeing these characters come to life, as you so eloquently put it earlier on in the podcast. Um, And I think the big lesson for me is that there is a massive market for stuff that is just not on anyone's radar. Like most of the, like, or not anyone, uh, adults radar. Like most adults, if you're like, Hey, you're going to go see five nights at Freddy's. They'd be like, who are you, sir? This is a Wendy's. Um, but, (laughs) But if you asked a friend, they would say, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And there, there, there's clearly properties like this that like, you know, sometimes they take a crack at it and it's like Assassin's Creed and no one goes to see it. And sometimes they take, take a crack at it and it's Five Nights at Freddy's and it's a massive, massive success. Uh, and you just can't underestimate how much people want to see certain video games be rendered with some relative reverence. Like I, even though the gameplay is not replicated, like it seems like they didn't dishonor. Uh, no, it the, loves the material. The, I think the, the fault, material, right? right? Exactly. Like, so, I, think, I think a huge part of the problem exactly. is that it is it is too referential to mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of the indulgent material in in the games to function as a more broad appeal movie as right. opposed to the Five Nights at Freddy audience. Yeah, yeah. Closing thoughts, Patrick Klepek? Look. Uh, I have such complicated thoughts about this movie because like on a, like I never really want to watch it again. And yet there's a good chance I'm going to watch it 20 more times in, in like the run up to the sequel. And <laughs> on the uh, one hand, it's been a colossal waste of time and may God have mercy on your soul. Right. On the other but, hand, you can't wait to see it again. <laughs> uh, I can't wait, but you know, I like, you know, I've been fortunate to do these podcasts with you and talk about, uh, uh, you know, a lot of TV shows. And in this case, a movie on a television show streaming service. Um, and I I was not that excited for my kids to get into video games. And it was going to happen because they're just surrounded by it. Um, it is just part of their lives in a way that they just take for granted. 
in a way that I couldn't because it was just, I grew up as video games became popular and a part of culture and a part of my life. And, um, you know, and I write about video games every day. I think about video games every day. And it's just like, sometimes with my kids, I just wanted to not think about video games. And so, you know, if video games are my career, like my actual passion is like the horror genre. It's like the mm. thing that means the most to me. It's like oh. the only physical objects I own other than like horror literature is like, you know, 350 like Blu-rays and 4Ks that I have, like all horror movies. I don't buy any other films. It's just wow. the horror genres. The only ones that I, I buy discs for. And so I have no intention of forcing my kid to get into something they don't want. But if you're asking me, like, would Patrick be so over the moon if his child, like, went down that path and, like, I got to hold their hand while they did it? Like, absolutely. And so I don't know what Five Nights at Freddy does. I think this is going to be a gate, like, a, a gateway movie to a lot mm. of kids to, like, oh, like, this gives me a sense of, like, how I react to a horror film, like, what I like, what I don't like, what's fun about being scared, what's not fun about being scared, how to do that in a safe environment and, like, manage those feelings. I don't know where my kid goes from here. And maybe it's just Five Nights at Freddy's and it's nothing else. But like for that brief moment, similar that when I, I sat next to her, like holding her hand during like Super Mario Brothers in the theater, like that was like a like a, a generational like thing we got to share together in a movie that was just OK, very pretty, but just an OK as a film. Um, here is a movie like I don't really like as a film all that much, but like as an object that connected the two of us and like an interest that means a lot to me. Like I cannot like it will be one of my favorite film experiences of the year. Like the movie itself is really take it or leave it and mostly mostly leave it. But like the experience of like sitting next to my kid and like watching her go through these emotions and sharing that with me is like it's fun. It was priceless. And so I'm thankful for the movie on that regard. And mostly what I hope is that the sequels are better. You know what I mean? It's like because you're going to have to watch them. You're, you're, I'm gonna have to watch yeah. them. I think the foundation is there for something much better, and maybe with some of the foundation out of the way, um, I hope they can give like with more of a budget, more complicated animatronics. You know what I mean? Like I think they're again the pieces are here for something that could be cool or at least at the very least better than what's here. Um, whether they achieve that in the inevitable sequel, I don't know. But that's where I ended up with the movie. It's like I, I still it's it's a pretty bad movie. And kids entertainment doesn't have to be bad. I think that's also like a critical thing is like sometimes mm-hmm. people are excusing this film for like, well, it's meant for kids. Of course it's bad. It's like, well, kids stuff doesn't have to be bad. And, but despite the fact that this was bad, I still found it to be like a profoundly special experience to at least share with my kid. Well, that's heartwarming, Patrick. And I love how we have described many great impacts of Five Nights at Freddy's, none of which have to do with the artistic content of the film. <laughs> it's like it's great for theaters it's great for blumhouse (laughs) you know it's great for the future of the movie going industry it's great for patrick's family and his movie going activities the movie itself or opening for uh for a female director right right the movie itself biggest piece of dog shit we've seen in the last (laughs) six months you know Um, (laughs) but everything else about the movie we strongly support and please Mm -hmm. let that be the takeaway (laughs) <laughs> from this episode of Decoding TV. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. I, w- I meant to make this announcement earlier on, by the way. Um, this week's uh, Loki recap, probably going to come out a little bit later than usual. Uh, so just be aware of that. 
because of scheduling reasons. Uh, and also, possibly, uh, somebody's going to be stepping in for Patrick this week because he's going to be away. So just, uh, you know, if it, it's not because uh, Patrick Kle- Klepek got a job at a security guard at Fazbear's. Uh, it's because uh, scheduling reasons. So just be aware of that. But yeah, podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, I'm really excited about this week's episode of Loki. I think it's going to be really interesting. So we'll see. Yeah, same. Um, let us know what you thought about uh, Five Nights at Freddy's and everything else we're talking about over at Decoding TV by emailing us at decodingtv at gmail.com. He is Patrick Klepek. I'm David Chen. Patrick, tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet this week. Uh, you can listen to me talk about video games over at Remap. Uh, you can get those uh, wherever podcasts are downloaded. And you can see us now writing at our new website at remapradio.com. Uh, or uh, that's right, remap. Now I forget what the actual wow. website really? is. Really? You wow, had one was, job. On, it was remap.ghost.io, and then we bought a domain. It's remapradio.com. Um, you had one job. You had one job. Uh, had one job. All, all of my uh, parenting and uh, gaming and technology stuff is at crossplay at patrickklepek.substack.com. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later right here on Decoding TV. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.